Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, the news just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Every day there's more uncertainty over Brexit, the value of the pound is plummeting, the US president makes more and more gaffes, and worst of all, Liverpool are back on top of the Premier League table. But never fear, while things might look bad, we're here to be that comforting voice. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where we'll be discussing the talking points from City's matches with Chelsea and Hoffenheim. The big news this week is the alleged racist abuse towards Raheem Sterling, so we'll be looking deeply into that with ex-City defender Nader Manua a little later on in the show. Howard Hawkins sent us more disturbing news from the future as he's managed to get a peek into what happens if City fail to retain the title this season, while we'll also be previewing the coming games with Everton and Leicester as well. I'm your host David Mooney and I'm joined this week from the American Citizens podcast, Josh Webb-Thompson. Hello everybody. How are you doing Josh, you well? Uh, yeah, you know what, it's a beautiful day. That's uh, it's good to hear and uh, as a special guest joining me in the studio we've got former City striker and academy graduate Leon Mike. Leon, how, how are you? guys, you okay? I'm good, thanks. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll kick off with uh, with the games against uh, Chelsea and Hoffenheim. Looking first off, Leon, at the at the Premier League picture, how does City respond to that defeat now? Do you think um, they're probably going to win in the next ten games? In all honesty, um, <laughs> listen, if anyone music to my ears, that is well, no, if if anyone's looking at that game as as anything um, that sort of represents a, a turning point in the season where City start start falling away, I just can't see it. The football they play is too good. Um, they've got players in every position that can be replaced. Yeah, the boys look a bit tired now, but you know the season's getting you know into full swing. Champions League's just about just finished, so they're going to get to rest some of them as well. Um, but I, I, I see absolutely um, no reason to worry whatsoever. Josh, from from your point of view, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but but you know, I've discovered that I'm not very good at losing anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've kind of noticed that that people don't know how to handle losing. Um, I, I was really angry after that game. I was re- absolutely no reason. Chelsea were the better team. You know they deserved to win the game. I was I was fuming. I, I think I was fuming because you you open that season with the Community Shield and City just dominated Chelsea. It was it was just it was what you expect. But then you have to remember that this is a Chelsea team that is just getting started under their coach, too. So you kind of expect them to get a little better. But I was in the same boat as you. I, you know, I mean, that game was on obscenely early for us. So I got up, avoided the score, and then and did the rewatch. And I'm sitting here watching this thing. And about halfway through it, I'm like, all right, I have to know. Because it just <laughs> felt like it was going to be one of those days, didn't it? It was. I mean, do you think part of the problem is that that city don't go behind that often, so it's difficult to to kind of know what to do to respond when they do fall behind. 
I mean, it can be, right? It's weird for me to think of a team needing to be motivated to respond, right? Like, that should be the bare minimum if you're a team with title aspirations because it's going to happen over the course of a season. And if you're a team with multiple title aspirations, then it should be commonplace. Uh, it is a bit difficult in... in, in you know, there there are certainly downsides to going down. It sort of takes the game away from you and you have to chase it. Um, but it's something you have to have ingrained in your DNA if you're going to play for a club that wants to be the best in the world. And I know we'll get to it, but I think that maybe the Chelsea game was just a case of we've won so much that eventually you need to be reminded that you can be beaten, right? Well, I was going to say, Leon, the first kind of 40 minutes of that game, City didn't let Chelsea out of their own box for, for, for long spells of it. Yeah. But they they just kept missing chances. You know, as a former striker yourself, do you, do you ever feel, you know, even 40 minutes into a game, it might not be my day, you know? Um, or do you just think, I just want one more I chance? Think, I think, yeah, I think the top players always want to keep getting in there and keep getting chances. Um, if If... If we were talking about this game in the sense that City went 80 minutes in the whole game and didn't really create any chances and, and Chelsea had all the play, I'd say maybe you've got something to worry about. But if City score first, it's a different game. They so just it's a bit of a freak, that's it. Yeah, they played the same football. They they, they you know were slick. They, they made chances. They, they broke lines. They just couldn't find the net on the day. And sometimes, as a footballer, it doesn't matter how hard you try, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it just you. won't go in. No, it just won't. Um, how how worried do you think City fans should be that, that effectively Chelsea scored with their first and only chance and then from that point on City just couldn't get back into the game? I think it probably knocked the wind out of them. If you look at the game, when when Chelsea scored, City probably looked at it and thought, are you serious? <laughs> um, you know, we, we've, we've, we've basically dominated the whole game and, and, and obviously, you know, Chelsea have come back and, and, and nicked one and then nicked another. I don't think there's any recourse to be worried. Again, we'll we'll see what they how they react on on Saturday or, or Sunday whenever the game is. Um, but I can't see there being a problem. I really can't. One one defeat in in God knows how long. You know, it's no reason for anyone to panic. And Manchester City fans, uh, like you, David, you know, you should know. Come on, you should be you should be well versed in losing. You panic win, at the you, first sign of trouble, mate. Yeah, That's you, the... <laughs> <laughs> Moving back to Main Road. Yeah. yeah. No, listen, it's it's a blip. That's it. Josh, are you are you concerned by the fact that it was Chelsea's one and only chance that that kind of took the wind out of City's sails? You know, it's it's never a good thing, and certainly this is a problem last year, right? And 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 so you look at this, and, and your your mind goes to crap. Is this going to be similar to last year, where teams were scoring on their only chances? Um, I'm not going to hit the panic button right now unless this starts happening across the year you know if you start to see this with more and more teams scoring on their first and only chance i think that was the whole reason you've seen the promotion of laporte to pretty much an everyday must play this guy because he stabilized that back line in such a way that they're no longer making those mistakes and and this was just it's not been a good week for laporte i mean it's not gonna happen uh, you're not going to be on your A game every week, but it's just it's it's not been his best week. But but I think these these things do happen. They're just going to happen. Chelsea are too good. If you look at the composition of their team, they're too good not to be able to do what they did, even against a team like City, because we expect that City could do it to a team like them, right? Well, let's let's inject a little bit of uh, of positivity into this. Then, like like Leon said, it's nine losses since the start of last season. 
Um, that, that's 81 games, so it's, that's mm. one in every nine games that they've lost, which actually sounds a lot more than, than it is in, in, real, in, realist, in real terms. Mm. Um, like I said, Leon, do you, do, you, do you think that actually we've just forgotten all how to lose? 100%. Um, I think what you find now... Because in your day, we lost every week. So well, it's yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I think it's, it, it, it's just a case of you're used to winning now, and when you don't win... You throw the toys the toys out the pram, and that's that's just any football fan. That's not just Manchester City fans. That's any football fan. I don't know when, if it's the social media era as well, because because when City were rubbish in in the old days, mm. and we're, we were all kind of used to losing, there was mm. no social media to, to kind of scope what the fans were thinking. Yeah. Okay, the atmosphere at Main Road at times was quite hostile and quite mm. you know quite quite negative. Yeah. But after that, you kind of forgot about it all, and the next week you went in complete ignorance of, of how bad it had got. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. The social media definitely amps everything up. I mean, you can go on social media and have a go at your favourite player now. Um, you can have a go at the manager. You can have a go at the club. Um, so it's it's a lot more accessible. Back in the day, the players would go home and, and hide for a few days. Now there is no hiding. Well, Pep's had a good run, so uh, so if it ends now, it ends now, doesn't it? That's that's what we say. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, everyone else in the Premier League <laughs> will be thinking, please let it end. Right, so this is what Guardiola had to say after the Hoffenheim game on Wednesday. In general, 90 minutes feel was incredible the way he played. So I never had, I don't have, and I think I will never have doubts about the quality of that guy. He's able to play with us. It doesn't matter where. But it's not just the quality he has with the ball, it's the way he fought. He is, looks like skinny, looks like not strong, but he's really, really strong. And arriving the byline, cross, shoots, is an outstanding, outstanding young player. He's a huge talent. I think England has a diamond. I know it's not easy to play in the big clubs, you know. Few players with 18 years old can play regularly, but play with, have to compete in a good way with David Silva, David Silva with Kevin De Bruyne, with Gundogan, with Bernardo, so it's not easy. But he's incredible in the training sessions every day, put absolutely everything, his passion, so he has, and he has minutes and he will have in the future a lot. After the defeat at Chelsea at the weekend, was it important to make sure that there was a victory tonight? Well, yeah, different competition. I know for the stats it's good. In the season one of the circuits it was after one draw, lose games immediately, we make a victories in a row. But today with different competition, the competition qualify, we already qualify and try to to finish it. But it's good, yeah, that's true. When you lose, break immediately and try to win. Why do you think you've struggled more in the Champions League this season rather than the Premier League? Well, it's more difficult because the opponents are better. They have more quality. Football, it depends on the quality of the players. The other is theories. I'm here every three days talking about my opinions. You ask me, I answer. But that doesn't count not too much. So big, big teams are out. Inter de Milan is an exceptional team in Europa League. So many, many good top clubs will be there. And one day you sleep a little bit, you will be in Europa League. When a team like Manchester City go through, it's an incredible success. I think all the teams go through, is an incredible success. The people say, ah, they have to do that. No, no. It's so demanding. So that's why you try to arrive in February in a good moment, a good condition to try to compete with the other ones. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game against Hoffenheim there. Um, Josh, in, in, in almost a complete role reversal in, in that game, City were flat until they went behind and then they responded. So kind of throw out everything we've just said, really, yeah? Yeah, that does. Uh, I mean, it definitely was a penalty for Kramerich, so I understand why Hoffenheim went ahead there. 
Um, but I was, it was, it was really odd to see City sort of, I, it was funny because I sent out a tweet. I, I didn't send it to Leroy Sané. That needs to be specified. I sent out a tweet though. And I was like, wow, Leroy Sané always does the wrong thing in the box because he was early on in that game. He was just not making the right move moves. Uh, and, and then, you know, later on in the game, City sort of grew into it after they went behind and, and then they sort of became that attacking threat you thought they would be uh, until the three-on-none, which we somebody needs to talk about the three-on-none and how City... If, if any club were going to do it, it was going to be City that were going to miss a three-on-none. Leon, talk us through that. How You know, you threw on goal, you've got, a teammate, you've got two teammates square. How do you not score? I think it's indecision. In those instances, it's always indecision. The man on the ball um, with a chance to score will be thinking, unless he's Aguero or maybe Jesus, will be thinking, should I pass or should I shoot? That's what will be going through their head. Someone like Aguero, there's absolutely no doubt. bottom corner, I'm burying this. He's thinking bottom corner, but he's got the quality to say, if I don't feel confident, I can fake to shoot and and play one of my teammates. And so it's, that's all it is, it's composure. Well, uh, I mean, Josh, you mentioned uh, Leroy Sane's performance. Um, what do you think of his display overall? Because, I mean, the, certainly the free kick was uh, was insanely good. And then, you know, it was a, a nice finish for the second one as well. Yeah, he took that he took that first touch, went around the keeper and buried it as you would expect he would. Um, he he sort of grew into the game, I thought, too. And I mean, young players, that's that's the thing with being a young player. And sometimes we forget how young Sané and Sterling are. Um, they're going to make mistakes. There's going to be indecision. That's that's sort of the thing of it. It is indecision, and that's all it was when they missed that three on none. Is is you almost got down into the box, and then you outthink yourself. You're like, I'm going to do this, and it just sort of. <laughs> then times run out, hasn't it? Yeah, you get your merds all mixed up, and you start blocking tack words, and, and and then by the time <laughs> you have made a decision, that the goalie's done the right thing and has pretty much cut off all opportunity. Did you have to but, write that down to say that properly? <laughs> no, actually, it's my my mother ingrained in me when I was a kid. She said it all the time, and I found it so funny that I always remembered it. <laughs> give it to us uh, one. I, give it to us once more. You get your merds all mixed up and start blocking tack words. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, absolutely amazing. I don't know if that's from Texas or what. I know not where it comes from. I've never researched it. So somebody will have to and let me know. Let us know. Tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast. Tell us uh, if you know where it comes from. Let us know. Yeah. Um, just want to, to look at uh, a bit further back in the midfield. Uh, Gundogan, did, did, did you get the impression he's kind of proved that nobody does Fernandinho's job quite like Fernandinho, Josh? Yeah, I like Gundogan's actually been one of my favorite players, even when he was back at Dortmund. I love the guy. Uh, like Dortmund as well as a team. Um, but uh, he's been a decent enough midfielder, but I don't see him as a great defensive mid mind, if that makes sense. Um, he, he, can, he can sometimes do the wrong thing, take the wrong angle, and it, it leaves City open to counters. I like him. I, I cheer for the guy. I always will. I just wonder about his efficacy. And we've uh, we've also talked, uh, Leon, about uh, Phil Foden in our Patreon show, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, if you want to have a listen to that. Um, but but how, how do you think he did, especially in the second half of that game? Because there was one moment where he volleyed it and the keeper touched it over the bar and everybody in the ground was, was going, oh, why couldn't that one have gone yeah, in? You know, for, yeah. First Etihad goal and that would have been mm-hmm. it. You know, Listen, I think there's, uh, first and foremost, there's going to be plenty of goals. Top corner, um, bottom corner from Phil Foden from Manchester City. Um, Phil Foden did fine. He's he's a classy player. He's 
he's, he's got such a good touch. His first touch sets everything else up. I, I love the way he plays. And the fact that he's left-footed as well, that unorthodox left foot, it, it helps him. Um, he grows into games, and I think that comes with being a young player, like you know Josh mentioned before. Players, young players need time, you know, 15, 20 games in a run, you know, um, to, to find the consistency. And the hardest thing to find as a footballer, not just a young player, is consistency in your game. Josh, were you, uh, were you head in hands when the keeper got his fingertips on that volley? Yeah, anytime you see a shot like that not go in, I feel like I've been robbed of something. <laughs> that, that, thing, that thing would have been probably the most sensational goal I've seen out of Phil Foden. You kind of know, don't you, that, that I mean, I, I, I know that uh, obviously, Josh, you weren't at the game, but the, the roof will go off the Etihad when, uh, when Foden gets his first home goal, won't it? You know, I screamed loud enough that my dogs, they're huskies, they're they're the most empathetic dogs in the world. They thought someone was in trouble and they went and ran and hid. Like, (laughs) I screamed that loud. So I can assume if one of me screamed that loud that tens of thousands probably screamed a bit louder. Now, uh, let's let's touch on uh, Gabriel Jesus, uh, Leon, because uh, obviously he didn't start at Chelsea. Guardiola went with uh, no strikers at all at Stamford mm-hmm. Bridge. Um, he he, he kind of looks like he needs a goal, but then you remember that he had a hat-trick a, you know, a few weeks ago. So so what's up with him, do you think? I don't think there's anything up for me. I think, again, when we talk about young players, we talk about consistency, not just in your game, but in, in finding opportunities in the first team. And, you know, poor guy, he's got Aguero in front of him. <laughs> um, he's probably got another year or two of that, um, sort of waiting in the wings. Listen, he's a good player. He's a very good player. Um, and he works really hard, so he's fine. I think it's just, again, a case of um, finding consistency. And once he does find the consistency, he'll be in the team more. What, what did you find when, if, if you were in, and ever went through a dry spell where you just couldn't couldn't find the net, what, what did you have anything that would help, anything like, uh, any techniques that, that would uh, kind of calm you down? Well, again, something I learned from Sean Golter, I mentioned it earlier, um, you would just have um, maybe someone put 10 crosses in from the right, 10 crosses in from the left, empty goal, and just put the ball in the net. Because what tends to happen is when your confidence is low, you try to smash the net, you try and put the ball top corner. You have to find confidence for those things to happen. So you do the simple things first, which is just put the ball in the net, then the flashy finishes will come later. Brilliant. And uh, just finally, Josh, I'm going to give uh, the last word on Hoffenheim to uh, to you because we, we very rarely talk about Edison's goalkeeping. Um, we, we always talk about his footwork and his calmness and how he can pass the ball. But then when you look back to that that save in the first half, you know he's, he's, he's got a cracking save in him as well, hasn't he? Yeah, we spend so much time, uh, so much more time talking about Ederson's offensive ability than we do his defensive prowess, right? And we kind of forget that this guy is a world-class keeper. In fact, it's baffling to me. I'm going to take a run at Liverpool here. It is baffling to me that they're, and I get why their fans are excited about Allison, given what he represents in a change from Mignolet and Karius. But I gotta say, man, the total that they paid for Allison when when City have basic, I'm pretty sure the guy who's gonna take his job by the next World Cup. I just do. I think that Ederson is in because he is so good defensively and he gives you something offensively. He is a dangerous weapon in goal. He, I just, I think he's one of the best in the world. And uh, just looking ahead, then the uh, obviously the draw for the uh, knockout phase of the Champions League takes place on Monday at 11 a.m. UK time. Um, City's options are actually quite limited in this one, Leon. You can get Ajax, Atletico Madrid, Roma, or Schalke because uh, mainly because every other English team finished second in their group. Um, there doesn't look to be an easy draw there. No, there doesn't. But to be honest with you, I, 
if you if you were an Atletico fan or you know a, a fan of one of the other clubs, you're probably thinking, oh, come on, do we have don't to want Guardiola City, City no, do we? Yeah, we don't want them in the last sixteen. Maybe in the semis or the final, but people will be looking at City. I think as the the favourites, in my say, opinion. I know it's a one in four shot, but take a punt. Who do you reckon they'll get? I'd say Atletico, Atletico. because they're they're tough, tough defensively. Typical City, yeah, yeah. Joshua, uh, who do you reckon? Yeah, I I don't have an inkling of who they're going to get, but I'm in the camp of give me Atletico or give me death. (laughs) Uh, I I just, I think that it can't hurt City to play a tough team like Atletico out of the gate. You have to beat one of a team like that to win this competition anyway. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's it's, from now on in, it's a knockout competition. Give me the easiest draw all the way through. (laughs) Because if they went on to win it and beat, you know... Be every single easiest draw that they could possibly get. Nobody remember that in 30 yeah. years' time, would they? Right, well, we'd like to be sitting here only discussing what happened on the pitch this week. Instead, there was another unsavoury incident at Stamford Bridge. I've been looking at what happened and the environment in which football allowed it to happen. On Sunday, Raheem Sterling posted two photographs to Instagram. In his caption, he said he just had to laugh when he was targeted by alleged racist abuse from the stands. It's been a huge talking point this week, especially after a banana skin was thrown towards Arsenal's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. However, as former City defender Nader Manua told us, racist abuse isn't a new thing. This stuff goes on all the time. Like one of my friends and old City players, Shailen Logan, I think he's received it a few times up in Scotland playing for Aberdeen. And when you look at it and you think of where we are in society, it just, it seems so wrong. But then the flip side of it is, I think things are still being said. But I think more people know now that it's wrong, yet still they have those views and they're more than willing to share it in the open forum, whether it's in a stadium, whether it's online, whether it's face-to-face, which is, a, you know, I think that's the biggest problem. Sterling's post pointed the finger at the press, who have reported similar stories on white and black players differently for a long time. Adam Keyworth is a City fan who's been keeping track of the negative reporting around Sterling in a thread on Twitter. There was something in the press that day about Sterling and I thought I'll tweet about this, but then going back through some other stories that I think I'd tweeted about before, I just thought, all right, I'll put a few of these together. And then as I put two or three together, I thought, Christ, this is really depressing. There's I think it was about 15 just in, in one go. The language in those sorts of stories has helped to create an environment where incidents like Saturdays can happen. Leon Mann founded BCOMS, the black collective of media in sport. I have seen over the years the language used towards black footballers is all around physicality. You know, there's a real emphasis on physicality, on speed, strength. However, there's never really any talk about the thoughts the cleverness it's all about that physicality that the 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 raw strength raw is a word that's used quite a lot and also there's a, a real questioning of attitude and commitment that seems to be applied to black players constantly Um, in a way that I don't believe it's applied to white footballers. He adds that it was obvious with how a previous City great was talked about as well. I know Yaya Toure, and I think he's a good example here. He's always been described as the beast. Um, I think to anyone who watches him play, I mean, he's more like a a ballerina in terms of um, the way he actually caresses the ball. He sees angles others don't. He's an artist on the pitch. Of course, he has those incredible runs in his armoury but that involves skill, the way he's moving his feet, this balance. All of those elements seem to have not been given you know, the same 
prominent in commentary. And Nader Manua explains how that can affect what people think of players. When you think about the way that things can be portrayed, especially with the thing that Raheem highlighted with uh, Tolzin and with Phil, it seems like Tolzin, his career is already being judged and criticised before it's even begun. And that's just through certain ways that language can be used. And I think it's more troubling for me when someone doesn't know that they're doing it in the way that they write headlines because they're basically fueling something which, you know, it doesn't really affect them, but it greatly affects someone who shouldn't be getting affected by such a negative stereotype. He says those preconceptions can then consistently filter through into reports. For some people, when it came to ratings, some people will start from an 8, and if they play badly, drop to a 7. If they play well, they go up to a 9. Whereas for other people, they start at 0. People get treated one way, and someone else that probably deserves the same treatment will be treated another. Anuwa also says that sort of bias can seep into punditry, especially when experts are asked to comment on matches that they haven't seen. Adam Keyworth thinks there could be subconscious problems too. I'm not in any place to say whether it's done in a purposeful way, that these people who are writing these dogs articles on Sterling are being racist because they mean to be, or whether it's just because they don't know they are being. And, they see him as fair game, and that's part of the issue. The makeup of the newsroom could also be a contributing factor. Leon Mann explains how important a range of backgrounds can be when it comes to deciding the news agenda. My feeling is, from experience and from knowing the dynamic um, across the media, that there will be a bunch of white men making decisions around the sensitivities in communities they are not part of, by having greater diversity in those newsrooms where those decisions are made, we'll have more thorough decisions. And that might mean that those same decisions are made, but they will do that knowing the consequences of their actions. Up to this point, Sterling had remained silent about the criticism he's had in the press and from the stands. The only fans who could have a negative reaction to him are Liverpool's, since he left to join a rival in 2015. But for a good 18-month spell, the winger was abused at every away ground in the country. Adam Keyworth wonders why it's taken an incident like this one for there to be a realisation that something is wrong. The fact that it's taken something so horrific as to what's seemingly happened on Saturday to make certain members of the press come out and say this is terrible and all, all of these comments, it's... All I think is, where have you been for the last two years? Their colleagues have been at it for two... Through, well, the two last years have been the worst, but they've been at it since he left Liverpool. The way that image of Sterling has been built up across both print and broadcast media then causes a problem. Leon Mann explains. The vast, vast majority, 99.9% .9 of people who have interactions with Raheem Sterling, it will be through the media. So the media have a huge, huge role in terms of how people view Raheem Sterling in terms of how they feel about Raheem Sterling and in terms of how they act and behave towards Raheem Sterling. So it's, it's vital really that it is a true representation. That's got to be at the heart of everything the media does. It's about truth. Sterling's been praised both for his statements and his reaction to the Chelsea fans on the day, but Neda Manua believes it's a one-way street. He is going to lose more than those fans are going to lose if he reacts to it even though the things that have been said to him are very unfair, it's not right, you know, it's, it's this, some of it's allegedly it's discrimination, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. But if he was to say anything back, he'd be getting charged by the FA, the PFA would be speaking to him, 
supporters trust and stuff like that would be getting at him and his reputation would be one which unfortunately for him would be far worse so he has to just accept it. This is football journalist Greg Johnson. He says the fact that Sterling's expected not to react in the face of something so abhorrent doesn't reflect well either. I always expect in black athletes who suffer racism to turn your cheek and be the bigger man. You're now in the acceptable scope of responses they can and in, in a way denying them their emotions. It shouldn't be on the person who's the victim to come out and be the bigger man. Though he does suggest a solution. We stop giving people like me and Piers Morgan and people that aren't affected by these things the platform to say things and we, we, we give it to people who have been affected by this. And I'm not saying Sterling because he's already carrying enough by himself, but let's give the microphone to people who are affected by this. The lack of black and ethnic minority voices in sports journalism is a real problem. And if we're being honest, it's a problem we face here on the Blue Moon podcast too. In the 10 years we've done the show, the vast majority of the people who've spoken on it have been white. When it comes to looking ahead to the future, Leon Mann thinks the situation isn't hopeless though. Football fans really led the change in um, addressing racism in football. And that's not often given the credit that is due. It was football fans who started turning around to each other and saying, shut up, you're not part of my club. We need that culture to continue. We need people to be brave, but we need people to be supported. Stewards have a job, clubs have a huge responsibility and the authorities do too. But it's clear there's still a long way to go. This last few weeks has highlighted the work that needs to be done to change attitudes. And Nader Manua explains an uncomfortable truth about why this isn't a new story across football grounds. If you had a good friend and you said something to them which offended them, they'll tell you that they're offended and they'll probably ask you to never say it again. And if you saw that it really hurt them, you probably wouldn't say it again because you cared. So it begs the question, when people come out and say that what you're doing is wrong in terms of a race perspective, why does it keep coming back still? And the bottom line is it's because people overall don't really care. And whether it's subtle racism or blatantly obvious racism, they don't care. Raheem Sterling deserves credit for speaking out, but he shouldn't have to speak out, nor should he have to maintain a dignified silence. If there's one thing that's clear from the recent incidents, it's time to have a long, hard look at how we deal with racism in both football and society, and how we report on non-white players. It's time to change. Hi, this is Sean Gooder, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. A look there at the latest racist incident in football. And just before we move on, I just want to uh, to, to listen to what Nader Manua said. Not all of his uh, of his interview went into that uh, that piece. This is what Anua told us about his experience of growing up in Manchester. I think being being raised in Manchester in the nineties, I did experience a few things. A few, my whole family did because we, you know, we came from. We came from Nigeria and we were at the time, I think one of the very few, if not the only black family that was in Mars Platting around that time. So our people saw us as being very different and they treated us as being very different almost from the get go and throughout my entire time there. And it, it, it wasn't nice to be honest, it was a tough time, especially because we were trying to adapt to a new country and people just weren't really willing to help us achieve that. Obviously some people were, but I'll be honest, the vast majority weren't. And then the time passed and I'd go and I joined Man City's academy when I was 10 and we played in a few international tournaments and some of the places that you'd go and some of the countries and some of the teams that you'd see, some of them never couldn't speak a word of English except for to be able to swear at you 
or to say like an N-word to me. And it was strange because I just thought to myself, like, what is, what is this? Is this, is this what I am? Is this what the world is? And in fairness, it, it got better over time. And I think a lot of that was because people's voices started to be heard now. You know, if someone said they were offended, you know, people and the authorities and so on started to finally try and get behind them and support them instead of ridiculing them because it's hard to, it's a lot of the time it's hard to be the minority trying to, in a group of 10, one or two people saying something, you know, people listen to what you're going to say, but the fact is the eight are the ones who are going to make the decisions. Whereas now I feel like more people are going to listen and understand and, you know, pay attention as such. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Nader Manua talking about his growing up in Manchester. Now, Leon, um, I mean, we, we, we can't not talk about this incident for, for Raheem Sterling this week. Um, first off, what, what are your experiences when it comes to, to kind of racism and, and the game of football? Um, I've, I've had it, um, as I would suggest most, if not all, other black players or um, players of uh, um, ethnicity. I've had in the game. Um, my first um, experience of it was playing for my town team, Trafford Boys. Uh, I was only 30 at the time and um, I was called a, a name by a boy. I had no idea what it was he'd called me, so I asked him what it was and he had no idea himself and the game just carried on. And uh, yeah, I had it in, in my professional career as well from players and from, from fans of the, the opposite, um, you know, the opposite club we were playing against. So... Um, <sighs> My experience, I used to kind of um, let it roll off my back. That was my way of dealing with it. Um, and, you know, Raheem's kind of adopted the same uh, kind of thing. Um, obviously, he's come out and said what he said on Instagram um, the other day because, let's be honest, there is... I mean, I've seen it for years and I've, I've had conversations with, with other people about it. You can see there is a, dis- a difference the way the press reports on black players to the way it does on white players. Um, that's just a fact and if anyone's going to tell me any different then I want to see proof because I've got plenty of proof the other um, way to, to support my claim what I mean what challenges do black players face when it comes because I mean I, I'll be honest with you I'm holding my hands up I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a white man so I don't I don't face mm, these challenges yeah um, preconceptions um, you know for, from as, as long as I can remember there's a preconception that black players are lazy and you've got to work them hard and then you have with other people and I remember my dad telling me, you know, as a as a black man going into, you know, football, you're gonna have to be twice as good as as your white counterparts, and you're gonna have to work twice as harder. Um, so it's been there, you know, as as long as I can remember. Um, and it it's hard because you don't want to be seen with as the guy in the changing room with a chip on your shoulder, which has been said many a time. But at the same time, well. If I can see it, why can't you? You can't just let it slide either, can you? can't just let it slide. But there is that that sort of... I think it's just an understanding, um, you know, of, of what the player's actually going through at the time. You know, if you're being, uh, you know, having racial abuse hurled at you um, week in, week out, then, you know, you're not going to go home feeling very good about yourself. Have we been complacent about tackling it, do you think? <sighs> um, complacent, maybe. Um, I would go as far as saying neglectful. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would go as far as saying neglectful. Uh, yeah, we have, uh, you know, kick it out and show races in the red card, but they happen on a day. 
the players wear a t-shirt, they wave a couple of flags, and then it's over. Um, what needs to happen? This is this is um, what it is for me. Um, if someone feels comfortable that they can spout racial abuse at somebody, whether it be on the pitch or whether it be from the stand, if someone feels comfortable, then the conditions are right for them to feel comfortable. If you make the conditions that they feel uncomfortable doing that, then it's going to stop. You know. And that doesn't mean we eradicate racism because it just happens behind closed doors then. But what it does um, what does happen is it doesn't happen in public. People aren't, you know, things that happen, the, the thing that happened to Raheem on Saturday doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, they're ejected straight away. So what needs to happen is to be a culture of, um, you know, uh, zero tolerance. And also, as I say, the press have got a big responsibility. People you keep saying that, you know, the way it's reported doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, it does. Um, and if you if you create or cultivate a culture of hate and, you know, um, prejudice, then that's going to fester. And it's, again, it's not just football, it's society. I wanted to ask Leon a quick question. Leon, what age did your parents give you the talk? Um, like... You know the talk that I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Um I probably had that, that kind of talk with my mum and my dad, or my, and my granddad, um, probably at the, about the age of eight or nine. Okay, so it happens as early over there as it does here. Um, mm. Again, it has to be stressed that I'm a white dude talking about this, but I try to to, to be familiar with, with the goings-on. And I think it's nearly impossible to say that the climate isn't conducive to hate. I mean... I realize this probably isn't going to endear me to some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, you look no further than my country. Um, hate crimes have gone up uh, since the induction of a certain person. Uh, Anti-Semitism is on the rise. You have more and more police here shooting unarmed black men and women. Uh, white folks with a million guns are talked down from the ledge over here, while guys like Stefan Clark are shot 21 times and then later found to be holding a damn cell phone. This is our lives. Um, and, and, you know, Leon mentioned those comments. I tried hitting up Jim Beglin about his comments uh, about Raheem Sterling, because he put out that tweet, oh, disgusting, you know, racist, zero Raheem Sterling. And I'm like, so, Jim, I assume that this tweet is going to be accompanied by apology to all the things you said about him. And I can remind you of these things if you need. And he's like, by all means, go ahead and remind me. So I showed him the tweet where he called Raheem greedy. I showed him the tweet where he called Raheem a locker room poison. I showed him the tweet where he said Raheem's move away from Liverpool it was ignoble. Ignoble was the exact word that he used about a move, about a transfer. And he's criticizing the guy's agent when he wants to deflect some of it. And I'm like, well, that's the agent's job. So that's not really doing anything for me. But these criticisms, they're inherent. They are inherent to institutionalized racism. He brought up black players. They're seen as lazy. You've got to work them harder. But white folks also see black players as people who owe them. Raheem Sterling owed Liverpool. Liverpool made Raheem Sterling. Not the years, not the hours, not the decades of blood, sweat, and tears that Raheem Sterling put into making his own footballing career a success. None of that made Raheem Sterling. It was Liverpool. 
And these types of comments are rooted in racism and the thought that we own a black man in his future, but we wish well to folks like Milner or even Coutinho when they move on. Like, it's baffling to me that some people cannot see their own racism in tweets. It's just truly baffling to me. I think there's there's only one kind of real way to to finish this this discussion as well, Leon. I mean, I mean it's it's all well and good us sitting here in the studio and and saying no, it's time that this is wrong. Something needs to be done. Um, what what do we do? Is it is it simply as much as as, as whenever you hear this stuff is just say, hang on, this isn't on. That you can't say that. Yeah, you make it uncomfortable for people to act that way in public. You know, at the end of the day, again, if if you look at um, where these things happen, if you look at Saturday as a, as a if you isolate Saturday as an incident. There's three or four guys shouting abuse at Raheem Sterling and there's actually no one around them telling them to stop or saying, don't do that. There's actually a black guy stood about three seats away just watching these guys hurl abuse at another black guy. Um, now, I'm not saying he should have done something. Well, again, it shouldn't, shouldn't uh, necessarily no, fall on his shoulders. On yeah. him, but what I'm saying is he got to have felt uncomfortable. Now, he may not have felt comfortable enough to say, what are you doing? Or who do you think you're talking to kind of thing? Um, because, you know, the the conditions inside the football ground are conducive to hate and abuse. Um, moving forward, for me, you've got to make it uncomfortable for, for racists and for people of, of um, a prejudicial um, slant. You've got to make sure that they, if they are racist, if they have racist views, that's fine. Off you go. You know, don't come back to the football club. You're not allowed at games and, you, you you know, you're not what we deem as a supporter at this club. It has to be that harsh. You see um, people get fined more for, I don't know, um, a two-footed tackle, generally speaking. Well, or... take, take the UA, for example, on, uh, was it Porto or Sporting Lisbon, where, where uh, Yaya Toure was, was racially abused, mm-hmm. Mario Balotelli were racially abused. Mm-hmm. And City were fined more for being late to the second half. Exactly. And you're kind of saying, if, if we're going to be serious about this problem, we need mm. to actually act like we're being serious yeah, about 100%. it. Yeah, hundred percent. And let's get let's you know let's be straight about it. This isn't a football problem. This is a societal problem. Um, and this, you know, in society, we've got a, a culture at the minute that people feel comfortable in 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 saying or expressing their racist views and prejudicial views at the minute because you know we're, I'm allowed. It's free speech. Of course, you're allowed. Of course, you're allowed. Um, but some of the stuff I read, some of the stuff I hear, some of the stuff I see, it's disgusting. You know, right. I wouldn't speak to another human being in that way. Um, and I wouldn't think of a hum- another human being in that way. And we really do need to take a look at ourselves and say, what are, what are we doing here? Are we just paying lip service? Is it another moment um, for show races in the red card or another moment for kick it out to get involved and everything be swept under the carpet? And what I would say is, uh, freedom of speech is not freedom of consequences as well. So, exactly. uh, so you can you be be free to say what you want, but you don't uh, not absolved yeah. from the consequences. Uh, it feels a bit trite moving on and, and talking about Everton and, uh, and Leicester after after such a heavy discussion. But we need to, and we need to talk about uh, City's upcoming fixtures. Um, Josh, City are a little bit like the, the walking wounded at the moment because of the number of injuries they've got. How how big a problem is that for them? Do you reckon? Uh, well, they've played the, you know, the, the best teams in the league. They've already played them away. So I think if, if you were going to be injured, this is the time to do it, right? Um, so uh, I, I, it, you never want injuries. I, I think that need, doesn't really need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. You never want injuries. But I think that when you do look at the talent across the board, City has the ability to weather this storm. The only question mark that I have, and, and this is sort of my point about uh, Gabrielle Jesus, is... 
I think playing behind Aguero kind of hurts Gabriel Jesus because the the discrepancy when one is on the field versus the other and what you get out of one versus what you get out of the other, even though they are not even remotely close to being the same player, it is rather drastic. And teams can play City a different way. Um, this isn't a knock so much on Jesus. I think he's, uh, I think he's great. I think he's got great link-up play, but he is a step down. I think from what you get with going from a world-class striker. Uh, I think Goal rated him as the second best striker in the world. Um, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I think there might be a case for another forward, but. Yeah, I, I still think Jesus is 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 going to be the question mark for the team during this stretch. Now, Leon, Everton have been a bit up and down uh, recently. How much of a problem will they be? I mean, also bear in mind on this one, I, I, I didn't realise this before we all predicted wins for this game, but, <laughs> but Guardiola's never beaten Everton at home. It's only two games, but he's never beaten them at home. Yeah, um, listen, Everton have got some really good players. I like Richarlison. Um, Sigurdsson's another one who's decent. They've got uh, Digne, the, the fullback. So they've not got um, a bad team, um, but I would expect City to win that game, regardless of whether they're not beating um, Everton at home in the last two years. You know, that's rubbish. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, it's a game. Aren't, super, aren't footballers supposed to be superstitious? Some. some <laughs> so uh, what's that bring this overall record to at Merseyside then? Um, I, I've no idea about the about the away uh, record, Josh, because um, I mean it's generally it's not great on, on Merseyside, come what may, blue or red. So I, I, I try not to look at it, to be honest with you. There's always the uh, there's always been the the uh, Mancunian Scouse um, rivalry, yeah. whether it be the footballers, uh, the, the, the football clubs, or the players on the pitch. There's always that extra bite when a, a, um, you know a team from Liverpool plays a team from Manchester. There just is. Um, I don't know what it is. Whether we're both from the northwest and see ourselves as the biggest cities in the northwest or whatever, but there is always that extra bite. It's daft as well because we all know it's Manchester. That's the bigger one. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the what the There's criticism no is. <laughs> um, just moving on to the the League Cup as well because it's it's the quarter final stage now. So Josh, is this the point where where we kind of go actually got a chance of winning it? Might take it a bit more seriously from now on in. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you always should take everything seriously, right? But the truth of the matter is, is teams like this aren't going to take some games seriously. Um, I don't think Leicester have the quality to put City out this year. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the Mares one in the uh, in the run sheet here. But the problem with that is Mares now plays for the team uh, in Manchester, so I, I don't I don't really think Leicester have the quality to put City out. I think it's a favorable draw. Uh, I wouldn't take it lightly, but I don't know if you have to take it super seriously, if that makes sense. Well, Josh mentioned Mares there, Leon. He, he missed the penalty at this stage last season that sent City through. So I mean, there's there's certainly that that's not an option anymore. City have got to do it without him missing penalties now. Yeah, um, <laughs> listen, uh, Josh mentioned that um, you know quality of of Leicester might not be enough to to beat City. Cup football is a bit different. Um, form tends to go out the window. I mean, I've predicted that City will win comfortably just because of how, how, how good they are at the minute. Um, but in a cup game, you honestly can't tell what's going to happen. In a one-off tie, sometimes, you know, look at Chelsea Saturday, you know, City, missed chances after chance, and then bang, you know, sucker punch. So that could happen, but in my opinion, it's not going to. 
You look at the at the League Cup as well. City have had a bit of a love affair with it recently. You know, won it in 2014, 2016, 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it is it one of the competitions that actually because there's there's no real pressure on to go and go out and win because it's everybody's fourth choice. Mm. Actually, you can enjoy it a bit more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think the players can enjoy it. I think also if you bring the likes of Foden into it and they get um, sort of longer game time, that's always a bonus. I think I look at it this season. I think City have got their eye on the Champions League. I just think they've they they're going to put all their eggs in that basket, and obviously the bread and butter of the Premier League, the League Cup. I don't know why they can't give some of the younger ones a run. Foden should be playing every game in that ninety minutes. No, no question in my opinion. Um, and you know another few players should be sort of um, you know fed in. Josh, are you uh, are you a bit more on board with the League Cup these days? Yeah, I love it. It's it's a great trophy, and I think one of the things that you can do with it is it, it adds to the overall hardware, right? You know, if you win a league title, you can turn that single into a double, and it's sort of like you said, David. Other teams don't take the competition seriously. It's their fourth choice. So it's something that you can win. You can win early. You can you can sort of wrap it up, get it out of the way. And, and, and you know, it, it, it sort of just adds to the overall success of the season. I don't. And as Leon mentioned, I think it's important that you get the young players minutes in those games. So it's a chance to bring along some of these young talent, let them pick up some of the bonuses in their contracts. And for some of the veterans as well to get a rest in the game, though these days nobody really needs a rest since everybody's injured. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, there were, uh, there were no correct predictions on last week's show, so we're hoping to change that for this week. We've linked up with William Hill to raise money for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, with a charity bet on all of City's games. Each panellist is getting a £10 correct score single, and the total for the campaign so far is £495. Another two chances to add to it with Everton and Leicester on the horizon. Uh, we'll start with Leon. What, uh, what have you gone for for the Everton game? 4-2 City. 4-2 City is 28-1, to 1, uh, so a nice 280 quid if you're right on that one. And for, uh, for Leicester, you've gone for? 3-0 uh, City. 3-0 is 17-2, to 2, so that would be uh, £85 if you're right. Josh, what have you, what have you gone for Everton-wise? Uh, I got poached, so I'm going to go with 2-1. 2-1 is 8-1, uh, which is uh, £80. And uh, Leicester? I've decided to make it difficult for myself, and I'm going to go with 4-1. Well, 4-1, if you're right, is 16-1, to 1, so it'll be a nice 160 quid. So I hope that Leon's right on the Everton game, you're right on the Leicester game. We'll, uh, we'll really bump up that money, because I've gone for 3-1 against Everton, which is 17-2 to 2 and £85, and 2-1 against Leicester, which is 7-1 to 1 and £70. Now, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more information about responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now then, a fortnight ago, we received a clip from the future version of Howard Hawking and it's happened again this week as he continues to play with the time-space continuum. Here he is. Hello? Hello? Uh, the light's on. Good. I guess we should begin. Hashtag YNWA. It's me again. I'm talking to you from the future once more. 2027 this time. One day after Professor Brian Cox has invented time travel for audio clips as there is no time to waste. Things are most definitely not getting better. You lied to us, Brian. Hashtag YNWA. I'm here to apologise. Last time I told all City fans to take a stand against their owners for the good of the world. Because by failing to do so would lead to a post-apocalyptic world where those that survived the purge of 2025 rummaged through bins for food and fought off rats and cockroaches in a daily bid for survival. Yeah, well you'll laugh at this. 
but turns out that was the better option. Hashtag YNWA. You see, once my original message reached you all and went viral on Lad Bible, not forgetting, of course, the 6,450 page thread on Blue Moon, you bitter blues all listened to me. You shaved off your moustaches, broke free from your chains, and stood up to the man. For the first time, empty seats started appearing at matches. Citizens went bust. Sales of pies plummeted and a boycott of City Square devastated the local community. All good, you say, but the problem is that I had not for one moment contemplated the dire consequences of what I suggested. The dire consequences of all of this. I thought we'd be making the world a better place. I was wrong. Hashtag YNWA. For some reason, rival fans did not applaud our moral stance, but simply laughed at empty seats. The boycotts affected the team's performance. Pep left, the shake got bored, City plummeted down the table, confidence draining away from the mercenaries in blue, day by day. And then it happened. Liverpool won the league. Hashtag YNWA. I repeat, Liverpool won the league. It gives me a chill just thinking about it eight years later. Feels like 80. From that moment it was all downhill for us all. Naturally the celebrations on Merseyside were as intense as they were long. A red haze hung over the north of England, Ireland and much of Scandinavia for many months. Jürgen Klopp was knighted and became the face of Colgate and the teeth. Similar honours were bestowed on James Milner and Jordan Henderson. Books were written, plays acted out and then there was the poetry, the endless poetry. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with Benteke and Aquilani and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and, which is more, you'll be a Sir James Milner, my son. It was hell, a never-ending hell, a hell that got worse, got hotter somehow. Liverpool strengthened further in the summer and soon with City no longer rivals and Jose Mourinho signed up for another six years at Old Trafford, the coast was clear for Liverpool to dominate Europe once more, especially once rebellion started against Barcelona's Qatar state sponsorships and Real Madrid's controversial appointment of David Moyes as manager. And by now over at Chelsea, Sarri lived permanently in an oxygen tent. Hashtag YNWA Soon Liverpool football team and its fan base ruled the world as they'd always wanted to. They could finally walk the walk as well as talk the talk. There were a lot of memes in the summer of 2019. The power they had energised them further and seeped into society. They were everywhere. I guess it was inevitable that soon they would hold positions of power and assert themselves on society as a whole. Now they control every facet of daily life and they cannot be defeated. A cult can only destroy itself. I try and keep the windows shut most of the time, not just because of the music, but also because the constant pyro stings my eyes. The rulers are big on flags and symbolism. Everyone worships he that is simply known as King Kenny, a mysterious otherworldly figure thought to look over the family. That's what we all are now, the family. Hashtag YNWA. Every night we all have to eat a, a lamb or beef stew. It was nice the first time, kind of. Less so the 300th time. I work six days a week making flags and scarves. It pays for the stew, kindling and re-education lessons for the kids. The biggest flag I've made so far was over 20 feet tall, with something on it about chicken Kievs. It made little sense to me. Hashtag YNWA. 
Boss nights are now compulsory for her own sake, where we all congregate in the nightclub and sing Liverpool songs. Allay, allay, allay. The party ensure attendance via their gangs of red men. Their tickling sticks are not what you think they are. Failure to do so means a month-long shift making live bird pin badges in a dusty basement, and no one wants that. A copy of Gideon's The Theory and Practice of Oligarchial Gegenpressing is by everyone's bed. Jürgen is infallible and all-powerful, though he still acquiesces to Kenny when necessary. It's not all bad, though. I get an extra day off on Sunday, as it's Virgil van Dijk Day. It's recognition not just of him being the greatest defender in the history of association football, though you know that already, but also of his seven consecutive PFA Player of the Year awards. Hashtag YNWA. Life is a struggle though. You'll never walk alone players over loudspeakers in the street 24-7. It's driving me insane. Every day is a different style. It was being played on a harp yesterday. A fucking harp. To make matters worse, whether writing or speaking, we have to end at least one sentence a minute or each paragraph we write with the hashtag YNWA. Hashtag YNWA. I mean, just listen. Just listen to this. Occasionally it's broken up with Ferry Across the Mersey or the theme tune from Bread. Apparently that's linked to why I live on Boswell Street, next to Averline Place. I digress. I must cut to the chase. It is not too late if I understand time travel correctly, which I still don't to be honest. We must try though. Try and change history. Yet again that duty falls on you, Blues. The world watches and the world waits. This is what you must now do, and I'm sure this time nothing can be worse than this. So ignore what I said on the last recording. Be blue and be proud. Stand up for your club. Support your team. Go to matches. Drink in the success. Buy a £3 Kit Kat at the bar. Buy every kit. Rubbish FFP on Twitter. And when you see Rhyme Sterling, give him a hug from me. He wins the Ballon d'Or eventually, you know. Well, almost. It was pipped up by Trent Alexander-Arnold. Anyway, don't get downhearted when Wigan knock us out the FA Cup again in March 2019 and February 2020, and January 2021. Keep the faith. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain. Though your dreams be tossed and blown, walk on, walk on, with hope in your heart. Oh shit, the indoctrination has worked. It's too late to save me, but it's not too late for you. Hashtag YNWA. And I'm being honest here, a post-apocalyptic landscape is not that bad now I come to think about it. It has its perks. Like when you find some fresh roadkill or the acid rain eases off for an hour or two. I for one welcomed our new communist overlords. The weather hasn't changed much so you'll see the sun occasionally too. Just think of the alternative and decide what future you want. For you, for your children, for their children, for your guinea pigs. Oh, and put all your money on Harry Redknapp winning I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in 2018. No, seriously. I hope this reaches you in time to make a few quid. So good luck, Blues. We're all counting on you. Hashtag YNWA. Hi, this is Richard Edgell. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. 
There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now, uh, before we move on, I want to say a uh, big congratulations to one of the Blue Moon Podcast's uh, panellists, uh, Karen Clark and his wife, Grace. Uh, we've got to say a shout out to them. They've uh, they've just welcomed their first daughter. Uh, Esme has, has joined the family. So a big congratulations to Casey and Grace there. Um, you know, we, we hope that she's uh, that, that she's settled in well and not uh, not keeping you up too late so that you mm. can uh, we'll have you back on the show very soon. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions and uh, we do our very best to answer them at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or you can get in touch through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. The first one has come in through the website from Leo Hammond. He asks, Phil Foden has signed a new six-year deal. What are his chances of making it at City given Diaz and Sancho both decided to leave to progress? Josh, what uh, what do you reckon? I think he's going to succeed, and we can already see he belongs, like Leon talked about early on in the podcast. Um, this is also the type of contract that City have desperately needed. You sign these young players to extensions, new deals, and, and keep them home. Uh, but it's also how you generate funds and or build a lasting legacy by having these players live out their con- their, their prime years uh, with the home club. So uh, I like it. I think he's going to succeed. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny one though, Josh, because if he, you know, he, he could quite rightly turn around and say, if, if Diaz starts getting minutes wherever he goes and, you know, Sancho's doing well at, at, at Dortmund, he could turn around and say, well, you rated me better than these, t- these two, so why am I not getting minutes here? It's always a possibility, but that doesn't seem like the type of player that Foden is. Um, when you get on teams that have a singular purpose of winning a title, winning the title is the most important thing. And you understand that in order to do this, you need to do it as a team and everybody has a role to fill. That is a concept that is ingrained in these young players. They understand you have a role to fill. Your role is going to get bigger. But right now, you need to do your role. Let us do ours. And together, we can move this engine toward titles. And uh, finally, Danny Thomas has been in touch on the emails to ask, uh, how worried should City fans be by Liverpool? They're not playing anywhere near as well as City this season, but yet they find themselves top of the table. Leon, should City fans be worried by Liverpool's uh, ability to keep getting results when the chips look to be down? In a word, no. Really? No. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, Liverpool have a, a really good team um, and it's good at what it does. Uh, but what they do, I don't think they can do it for the whole season, number one. And I don't think they have another way of playing. Well, so. Will there be a point where either their results start to match the current performances or the performances have to start matching what they're going to get as results, if that makes sense? Yeah. They, they need to step it up. Yeah, basically. they need to step it up. I think at some point um, they're going to tire. They are. They're going to tire. Then they get injuries. And then it's that, that, you know, oh, we've just missed out. I, I just can't see it, you know, as, as well as they're playing at the moment. You know, their front three are brilliant. I think they're lacking midfield. Um, they've got uh, not a bad back line and a good goalkeeper. But I think they lack, um, what's the word? They just lack a way, a different way of playing. They have one way of playing and that's it. And it's 100 mile an hour. Uh, for 90 minutes and if they do try and slow down you watch them in games if they try and back off they try to slow down and play another way they get picked off so they have one way of playing which is 100 mile an hour uh, for 90 minutes and I don't think you can do that the whole season Josh on the injuries front though it's City that are finding themselves uh, with with all the players that are strapped up in the physio room 
Yeah, but, I mean, here's the thing. If Liverpool had not qualified for the Champions League yesterday, I think you could maybe tip them to win the league because they would basically have nothing to do. They they would, I think at that point, Klopp would, if he would have gone out that early in the group stage, I think he would have to put everything into winning the league because that's the only other way you can justify what they spent to go out that early in the Champions League. So City might be in the physio room, but Liverpool just gave themselves more to do in more games, and injuries are going to hit them, and I think it's probably better that City are having theirs now. I mean, look at this. They're doing all of this without Kevin De Bruyne, and that would have seemed inconceivable last year. You almost couldn't think that, that without De Bruyne they could manage this, but here we are. Right, well, I think that's that's quite a positive note to end on. So, uh, so thank you very much to my uh, my two guests, to uh, from the American Citizens podcast, Josh Webb Thompson. Thank you. And uh, former City striker Leon Mike. Thanks, guys. If you want a little bit more Blue Moon podcast before next week's show, then uh, do go and check out our Patreon show. We're discussing the Academy then and now, so uh, go and have a look. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast is the way to do it. It's available for everybody that backs $2 a month or more. Uh, Yeah, so thank you very much to my two guests. I've been David Mooney, and we'll see you next week. Take care. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast